2: So in today's episode, ladies, we have Katie Smith-Meyer. She is a real estate attorney and investor, and she's been investing for over 10 years, has a number of properties in the single family side of the business, as well as multifamily. What I think you're going to really appreciate you know, with her and in our interview today is we go through a lot of the misconceptions when you're getting started in this business. And it's really scary as you grow your portfolio, but it's really, really overwhelming when you get started. And she go, we go through just a number of misconceptions, how to look at those a little different and really how to take this into your own business and your own investing world as you get going.
3: One of the most important things is that when you're getting started, you have those like, oh, you must do this way. Or if you don't do this way, you're wrong. And everything is, you know, down the hill. And we want to encourage you to think that there are several possibilities that you can go. And we share here different ways of thinking. And it's all based on the lifestyle that you want to live, your own criteria. But if you don't know those criteria, you're just following somebody else's criteria. You might get in a place where you didn't desire. So enjoy this episode.
4: Keep your money in your pocket and propel your portfolio further at firstexchange.com. First American Exchange Company does not provide tax or legal advice. Consult your financial, real estate, tax, or legal advisor about your circumstances. First American Exchange Company, safe, smart, secure.
1: You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today.
2: Welcome back, ladies. This is Liz. And this is Andressa. Welcome back to the Real Estate Invest Her Show, where our mission is to create not only a global platform, but an intimate platform, right, Andressa, where we're really supporting women to empowering them to live a financially free and balanced life. As we continue to grow as a team, we just revamped our vision and our mission and our values. And, you know, and and just, it's so important to always do that. Just quick tip, right? We have to reconnect with what's important to us and who we're serving. So we appreciate you being back on all you amazing women listening. If you're new to our show, thank you for being here. We're going to jump into Katie Myers her story here. Thank you so much for Katie, for being here. We're going to jump into her story in a moment, but thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I listen to your podcast all the time. So I'm very excited. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we're going to get into her story. I love a lot of her background and we're going to dive there in a second, but we always do for the woman coming back, you know, we like to kind of get connected to all of you. We don't physically see you, but we virtually see you right in our minds <laughs> and we want to just best serve you. And the way we know how to do that is to kind of share what's coming up for us. Some quick lessons, something to, you know, take into your, your life. And then we'll uh, introduce Katie and jump into her story. So Andressa, you are on this week. What is happening, mm-hmm. my friend?
3: Well, I'm the middle of construction Instruction right now in in a project, and you know sometimes when things don't go the way that we thought they would, so I was like, sometimes, okay, right? <laughs> many times, right? And then we struggle with that concept, and it's like this is stressful, this is like draining. And one thing that I want to share with you guys that that like when you embrace that as a sign that something is not working, you need to take a different direction. It opens a completely like different possibility for ease. And I ease in construction sometimes does not go on the same sentence. Wow. But I'm like telling that. you, it is. It is. So more specifically, what the hell I'm talking about? Here's what I'm talking about. Got a contract for a company to do demolition on this project. And it's very, very straightforward, right? Here's the scope. Here's the date. Let's get going over here. But it was so many hurdles and quote unquote miscommunication with time. And it was pushing and I was like, what the hell is going on? And then at the end, I was like, listen, what is it? Oh, because our expediter couldn't go to city hall. And by the way, I'm outside Philadelphia. So it's not like center city chaos, all of that. You can park your car. There's no line. It's beautiful. Right. So I was like, you know what? Let me just get this freaking permit. And go there and apply for it, send it to me, I'll print it and go. And you might be hearing this from me. is like, that's not the best use of your time. <laughs> yes, it's not. But here's why I went there. I've never been there, number one. I don't know anybody there. I need to make friends, right? I need to know them. I need to know them by name. I need to know who they are, how it works. So we can kind of like make that connection. So I made that choice, And I know all the three people that work there and I have all their emails and everything else. So they already have me out in different things. It worked very, very well. End of the day, I apply for that that person and they cancel again on me. So that was a problem. I was like, listen, I will not push another week on this. What I did was like, let me look at all my contacts and get in contact with people that I know. Let me look at Facebook and see who are those folks their general contractors that are really like proud of it. And I came across a company that was like delivering. He wrote, don't you like when you see all the drywall organized and being delivered on time? I was like, you're my person. You are my person. You like seeing drywall being delivered. You like the smell of lumber. Here are my people. Got in contact with them. Very responsive. Came under budget. And I called the city hall. And then I said, listen, the first company won't be able to make it. What do I need to do for the second? And I got the chance to speak with the director there. And he's like, just send me their insurance information and everything I'll Substitute. Uh, and you can come pick it up in half an hour. I was like, deal. The job was done in two days, even prior of the schedule of the other company to get started. And that contractor now is working with me on that project, entire project. So, you know, one thing is not going well, It might be a blessing, actually. It might be a a good thing. So look at everything that's not going well in your project instead of pulling your hair, looking at like, okay, this might be a sign. This might be a blessing that I need to go and take a different direction. That's what I got for today. That's what you got.
2: I love it. I love (laughs) it. And it's so important, right? To keep the big picture in mind. It's so hard to do that, but it's so important to do that, right? When we are in the midst of it, it's hard. Right, right. Because all we see is right in front of us. So I love that, right? insight as all of you are looking at your business and saying, okay, what's working? What's not like, just take a Mm -hmm. step back. So Mm -hmm. good stuff. Very good stuff. Katie, thank you again so much for being on our show. We always like to kind of kick things off with the amazing women we interview here on our show is with the question of what propelled you to get involved in real estate investing? What made you jump into this business?
0: Well, I was um, an accidental landlord, probably like a lot of people. I've had real estate investments now for over 10 years. I was originally a commercial real estate development attorney. um, And I was doing that. um, But I got married in 2009. And my husband had previously bought a condo in 2006. And he bought it for zero down, just a letter from his employer that he was good for the money. Um, And so then when the recession hit in 2009... He had this condo that Denver didn't hit, get hit as bad as other markets, but it probably was worth you know, about what he paid, or he would lose a little money if he had sold it. So we decided we will keep it, we'll rent it out. We didn't want to live in it, it was tiny, but not in the area we wanted to live in. So we kept it, we knew we could rent it out and just kind of cover expenses. So at that point, we were just looking to um, hold on to it until we could sell it for, you know, a little more than it was worth. So even though I was a real estate attorney, I wasn't thinking like, oh, I'm going to do investments because um, I did big mixed use projects um, that were very different from, you know, just buying single investment properties. So that was our first step. Um, and luckily we had, we had great renters the whole time. So it was kind of like a thing where like, whoa, this is, this is kind of easy. We should keep doing this. <laughs> mm mm-hmm. That's where it started.
3: Well, when we all think about getting started, right? We all get started some way, shape, or form. If we plan it, or if we don't plan it, and a lot of the ladies that are listening, a lot of people got curious about real estate, couple especially past year, we had time to think about different different ways. If we enjoy our job, if we don't enjoy different ways to do passive investment, even if we do enjoy our job, our career, how can I leverage my my money? So for, for the people that are getting started, right? I, we hear a lot of stories about like getting their first house and a lot of people, even though if they can afford it, We encourage them to think twice before getting new construction turnkey and going like full force above their means. So for those people that are getting started in in real estate, what are the ways that they can make the best out of it? What would you say are the a couple of like misconceptions that we see out there that we can tackle? Yes. I mean,
0: I still consider myself, you know, I'm still looking at single family homes sometimes. So that initial investment that someone would look at. Um, And I think I see a lot now um, of people saying you have to house hack. That's how you... That's the only way to get into real estate investment these days. I think house hacking is great. I don't think that's a bad strategy. But I also think um, you can buy... um, Especially if you're not a homeowner, because I do think you learn a lot just by being a homeowner. So if you're not a homeowner and you're super interested in real estate investment, I think you should buy your own home. Um, Unless you're in a market, You know, some markets... I can understand maybe buying an investment property somewhere first. But if you're in a market where you can buy a property for $100,000, $200,000 um, and live in it for a while and hopefully add value to it. Um, so I'm also not a fan of buying a brand new home in the farthest suburb. You know, it's nice and new, but I don't think there's a lot of value add there. So, I I personally like older homes, so for me it's a very easy choice. But I definitely think buy a fixer upper or even if and it doesn't have to be, you know, a complete gut job, I think, you know, there's a lot of homes on the market where you could go in and just remodel the kitchen. Um, that's what we did with our current house, you know, just paint and then also looking for maybe value add opportunities that are more like the neighborhoods coming up and coming um you know you know a big developments coming in you know i really love walkable areas um and i think even Post pandemic with people kind of moving farther out and wanting more space that um, people still actually still want communities that have places they can walk to to eat and have coffee and that kind of thing. So I think those areas are still going to stay strong. And they'll appreciate a little more than just the market. Like you want to beat the market appreciation, right? By either adding value with renovations or you kind of know something about the market that maybe other people don't know.
2: Yeah, that's great. And, and so many times when it comes to house hacking, I, it is like this jewel of a, of a suggestion where, you know, it's like a knee-jerk yeah. reaction of where everyone says that you should start. You know, and Justin and I really, really hate when people say hate is a strong word, but really, really get frustrated when people say <sighs> this is the way you should do this because there really isn't one size fits all. I mean, house hacking has some drawbacks. I mean, uh, my husband actually, our first investment was a duplex. We did not, you know, live in one one and rent the other. Can you we actually imagine
3: rented. You, and Matt, living in house hacking? No, that would be bad for us yeah, because we would, I would be like,
2: I would probably be cooking meals for my tenants <laughs> and that would be good, right? So knowing my personality and I'm, I mean, we, we've we come a long way, me and my husband, but the way we ran our business then and how we run it now, right? I, I, I really probably would have been making the meatballs and like said, listen, oh I'm making meatballs if you pay my rent, I pay the rent on time. That probably would have been my strategy, <laughs> That's but not right. But, That's not right. No, there's nothing right about that. I do make meatballs, but um, there's nothing right about that. What, why I'm saying that is it's not the best setup for everyone. However, when, you know, prior to that, my husband did buy a house. uh, It was a row home and rented two rooms out. And it was like his first start at that. It was just like the way it just laid It is the way it worked. But my point in saying that is house hacking is a great strategy, but to your point, it's not the only way to start. And it has to also fit to your lifestyle. And and women listening, you have to get it. Like your lifestyle is more important than the investment strategy, because the investment strategy is supposed to move you towards your lifestyle, right? And Not what other around.
3: people think, also, right? Because yeah. it's like you don't know where I'm going. So the traditional way that people see my perceive if you are living in an upcoming neighborhood, for example, who cares? I'm thinking about the appreciation in a couple of years from now. So I'll just add that list. Uh, yeah. Jones, what other people think?
2: Absolutely. So I just want to make a mention of that. So I love when you say that too. Can you explain a little bit too, how do you define, before we get into a few other misconceptions, I love the idea of, of diving into these misconceptions for women. Before we go there though, when, when it comes to value add, it's kind of like saying to someone, Hey, you got to communicate more to me, you know, or let's communicate more. It's like this <laughs> big term that really like literally means so many different things to so many different people. So I think one of the problems is that when we say value add in, in the world of investing, right, people are thinking about so many different things. And it really does mean so many things. So so define it for yourself, especially that your, your asset class is older homes, right? Because that can look very mm-hmm. differently to other people. So tell us a little bit about how you when you're getting going and you're like, okay, this is a, this is an investing business for me. How did you start to define what value add meant to you? And then how did you work backwards and setting yourself up for success?
4: Mm -hmm.
0: Well, um, when I was a real estate development attorney, I just, I got very into the idea of like historic walkable neighborhoods and pre pandemic, you know, I think everyone realized like, oh, everyone's moving back to the city, but you know I also saw things like I don't know if you guys have ever heard of streetcar suburbs, where you know the old um, suburbs were developed at the end of like a streetcar line, and what's left over is um, kind of this cute little row of little businesses, and then it's surrounded by an older neighborhood. And Denver has a lot of those, and so they're you know kind of little activity hubs um, where there used to be a market and the dry cleaner is probably a laundromat then. (laughs) And they would get off the um, streetcar and then they would maybe stop at the market and then they would walk home. And so in a lot of like older areas in town, there are still those neighborhoods. And then the, it's turned into a couple little restaurants and like a coffee shop. And so in Denver, I started to kind of look at those areas and noticed that that was where a lot of like development was going on. um, Because people liked that, even though they weren't like in the city, they, Still liked having kind of like that little hub. So it was like their own little community. You know, obviously, there's like the renovation. You can always like value add. If you have an old home, you can always renovate it. And most likely, like that'll add value because people don't want to do that themselves. But If you put renovation aside, because I'm not really like a flipper, sometimes I'll, you know, I'll upgrade a property, but I really look at the neighborhood and I think that sometimes the neighborhood has characteristics that people are seeking out. And so that streetcar suburb is kind of an example of that. Um, and then the other thing that I've kind of noticed, and um, that I get very interested in, because I like real estate kind of from like a big picture, like um, how it shapes our lives, is you know where are big companies moving, you know where are employment centers going, you know um, if there's a big development going on down the street, the single family home neighborhood right next to it is going to go up in value. Um, so you don't have to do that work. The the big real estate developer did the work of researching the neighborhood and saying like, wow, that's a great neighborhood. and then you can just buy near it. So yeah, it doesn't have to just be renovations. And then I would say on the renovation front, my newest interest is looking at um, maybe a short-term rental beach house. And I see so many beach houses that are like yellow, green, orange, tropical colors, but they have, they have good bones. Like they don't need a total gut job, but They just need to be painted white.
3: They just need good taste. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And so
0: I think, you know, when you're going to rent it, you know, you got to look past kind of the furniture and the paint that people have, and you're going to be renting it out. So you can paint it white or gray. um, And obviously people will bring their own furniture. And so I think there's a lot of value add in that way. Just small upgrades.
3: I I I love what you're saying. Yeah. I love what you're saying. It's because when, when you walk into a property, walk with the eyes of an investor. Okay. It doesn't really matter. Doesn't matter how it smell. I actually like when it smells very, very, very bad. And it has like spider webs and it's just like disgusting. Uh, there was one house that I, I walked through that I said, I can't, I got to get out. I almost had like a, vomiting accident inside that house that's and somebody was living there. That was my my biggest thing. I was like, Jesus Christ. And I was like, and I love it, and I'll put an offer on it <laughs> because because of what you're saying, because of the location, right? But uh, I knew that that was a great, great, great deal. So the worse they smell, Better the opportunity for me Because I know I'm going to just take everything down I don't care I don't care how it looks like I don't care if all the bathrooms are have tired from Head to toe, blue, pink, whatever it is I don't care I'm going to gut it. that So one thing that I just want to make sure You guys uh, that are listening here That are getting started If you're going to rehab a house One of the biggest mistakes is over rehabbing it Um, Please You've got to like hold your your desires, your Pinterest, Instagram, HGTV kind of, you know, style. You can take that as an inspiration and find something that is going to give the same feeling, not the same price. That is the kicker. So uh, there are a couple of things that from, from a construction background, a couple of things are non-negotiable. Number one is watertight. You've got to look at your roof, right? Before you buy it, you need to look it to see if you're gonna replace it or if it's in good shape. But watertight is very important. Your roof, your surroundings of the house, make sure everything is good. The other three things there's plumbing, electrical, and HVAC. So all, all all areas where if you were to refinance, those are like items that will add value to your to your house. Think about this, the appraiser is going to come, I highly doubt, and I'm sorry appraiser if you're listening to this, but a lot of them don't have construction experience. So they go by the perceived value and the list of construction costs that you give it to him or her. So think about the perception. The perception is the most important thing. A coat of paint, nice curb appeal, that will add value to your property. Of course, kitchen, right? Sometimes it's just painting the cabinets, changing the hardware, the faucet. No, you don't need to demolish everything. Same thing with the bathrooms. So when you think about that, adding value, think about the appraiser mindset. What the appraiser will think when they see it, will this add value or not? Will this beautiful chandelier add value probably not so forget about it get a home depot lows whatever and, and and put it out there i want to jump into another misconception uh which a lot of people say that you must you have to open up an llc to get started otherwise you're doing it wrong <laughs> you must And as an attorney, I love to talk to attorneys because we are not attorneys and we are not your attorneys. And I'm sure we're all doing like all the disclaimers over here. But let's talk about that because there's a lot of quote unquote shame on people. Oh, shame on you because you bought it this way. You bought it wrong. Now you're just screwed for the rest of your, you know, or your portfolio is at risk. So is that true or is it a misconception? Yes. Well,
0: yeah. Like you said, I'm not anyone listening attorney, but um, I am an attorney and I'm my own attorney. And so I own, you know, I own a five unit building and that's in an LLC because it's um, larger. And then I own two, um, my husband and I own two personal homes in our own names. And I have thought, I have so many times almost put them in LLCs, <laughs> but, and I've kind of have come full circle. So at first I didn't really I'm a real estate attorney, so I'm not a corporate attorney. So at first, I just, you know, the loan had to be in our name. So that's how we bought it and that's how we kept it. And then I got to a point where I was thinking, I, you know, I was all everything I was reading, I have got to put the, I'm an attorney and I still own these in my own name. Like, what am I doing? And I've actually kind of come back to, I do know what I'm doing. You know, I bought these with loans that are conventional mortgages, which you have to buy in your own name. And I know, you know, so there's a due on sale clause. And um, technically, if we transfer it, the whole loan is due. Now, it sounds like lenders, as long as you're paying your bills, never enforce that. That's like the word on the street. I have not tested that. But... I just kind of looked at it and we, my husband and I looked at our kind of, you know, our assets and our net worth and we got double the amount in umbrella insurance. And then I also, I have a very strong lease. I have some liability provisions in my lease that I think are very similar to um, what the LLC does. Those have not been tested in a court either. But I think what people think is that the LLC is like a magic shield. And that's what I really don't like. I think the LLC is a useful tool. At some point, I probably will transfer these to an LLC. But I think when someone is buying their first investment property, they're probably going to buy it with a conventional residential mortgage, which means they have to buy it in their own name anyway. And so you can't start with the LLC. So you don't need to set up an LLC before you've bought your first property. (laughs) That's kind of like more like the last step. So once you buy the property, if you look at it and you say, yeah, I feel more comfortable risk-wise putting this into an LLC, then, you know, I think you can go ahead and do that. I think umbrella insurance um, is also a good option. And I think what people do is they think the LLC then protects them from everything. But if you own one one home in your market, in your town, and you're the handyman and you're, you know, the contact person and you just have this LLC, you know, if you go over and you fix the steps and then someone falls on the steps, they can still sue you even though it's in the LLC because you did the work. So I think a lot of people think the LLC is magical Um, and it's a layer of protection that I think is valuable. And I think as people scale up, it just naturally comes. But with those residential conventional mortgages, when you're buying properties in them, I think there are other ways you can you can protect yourself. And then I will say one more thing about the LLC is a lot of times they aren't setting up their bank accounts and all of their systems to be having a true liability protection from the LLC because they're commingling everything. So just having the you know LLC Title is not going to help them because they run it just like um, out of their own bank account. So, you, if you're going to do the LLC, you really have to follow through, set up your own bank account. And then, also, probably the next step would be to actually hire licensed contractors to do your work. Um, so, you're really managing it because you know you always can be held liable for your own work at a property.
2: Yeah, no, it's great. It's great advice. And, you know, for us, especially when my husband and I got started and and grew our business, we had so many different partners, right? So, you know, really going down the LLC path for so many different, you know, so many different properties, so many different projects made sense. We had different partners. I mean, that's just kind of like makes sense to get things delineated. Um, But to your point, you know, especially as you're getting started, there's pros and cons and you have to weigh those out and, and you have to get the advice of people in it and doing it versus just the attorney, no offense, or just the banker or just the fill in the blank. You know, I think that's helpful to get the professional's advice, of course. But it's really helpful to get people who've literally just, you know, ha- has a has a portfolio and they also can give you some real life. This is what worked for me, may not work for you. Again, that's just, that's great advice, uh, Katie. Another misconception, and I really do want to dive into this because it, it, it this one comes up a lot you know, around the 1% rule and pretty much that you don't have a good deal if it doesn't meet the 1% rule. You know, really, really simply, ladies, for those who aren't familiar with the 1% rule, right? It, it's, you know, think about like your total investment, the price of the property, upfront costs, those sort of, upfront repairs, excuse me, say that's about $100,000. Well, the 1% rule would say that you need to rent that property out for $1,000, right? To make it work financially. So why do you find that that to be maybe not realistic or, is that the only rule that women have to follow when they're getting started with uh, rentals?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I think especially now that the market has gone up in so many places, it's it's really hard to make that work. Um, so I think my first two properties, you know, the one I said was just kind of we took it on and we met expenses. The next one, I did a little more analysis, um, but I still wasn't I wasn't. Well, I don't even know if there were podcasts back then, but when I bought my second property in 2015, um, you know, I had maybe read a book and uh, my goal was to make um, $500 more a month than all my expenses. So I had not read about this 1% rule. So I just figured, yeah, I want like a a decent cushion. And if I had known about the 1% rule, that property would not have have made the cut. And that property made a ton of money um, on the appreciation side in the Denver market um, and enabled me to buy many more properties. So I think if you're only gonna do the 1% rule, especially as a new investor, where your loan terms may not be that great, And, um, you know, the 1% rule is kind of a, it's an, everyone can analyze the deal the same way, which is great if you're kind of looking to market it to other people, but if you're buying it for yourself with your own money. You have to look at your own loan terms, how much money you're going to put down. Sometimes if I'm just doing it quick, I'll just still aim for a $500 over my expenses. Um, And that's usually because a single property that I'll invest $50,000 into. So it's usually like a $150,000 property I'm putting a little less than fifty thousand in because I'm putting 25% down. And so just a really quick, I'll do, you know, do like a Zillow search of rents in the area. And is that going to be 500 bucks more than my expenses? But then I have gotten a little, I've um, you know, got my own Excel spreadsheet now. And I really have gotten into the cash on cash return numbers. Um, and so I like to do 10% cash on cash r- return as well because it does make a difference. You know, now I'm more deciding if I'm going to. You know, put a chunk of money into this real estate investment or this one over here, different markets, maybe, or even, you know, that way you can compare like against stocks too. Like, do you just want to buy some stocks? So I think the cash on cash return annually, what are you making makes a lot of sense to run those numbers as well.
2: Did you know that within a decade, women will hold? $30 trillion in investable assets, and 500 of those women will be at InvestorCon 2024. It is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd to 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestorCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care, all designed to help you take control of your financial future, gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio, and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with women who are playing at the same level. Time is running out. You just have four weeks left to get your ticket, to learn more and to get your tickets. Visit investhercon.com today. Use a code 100 podcast to get $100 off your ticket. That's investher, H-E-R, con.com, promo code 100 podcast to get $100 off your ticket.
3: You know, it's funny because on our Facebook community, a lot of people, you know, we post different different things and there there was a post about cash flow that X X area was uh, booming and is the hot area for cash flow. And then we start asking more questions about what does that mean? Like, where, who said that? What's the comparison and what type of area that is? And people from the area start. That's what I love about the community, because then you get people from that area chiming in and sharing their experience. So the bottom line is that that was like a DEF type of neighborhood where the cash flow it's high because nobody really wants to go there and there's different things going on there. So for everybody that is listening, besides the 1%, if that fits your criteria, as Katie said, there are other criteria that you should look into it. Cash on cash return. What is the market? What is the neighborhood that I am in? The employees, who you're serving. I don't want paying as ass uh, tenants. I'm sorry. I don't <laughs> like, I really don't want to deal with that. Right. My quote unquote success criteria is to me, I rather do appreciation than cash flow. That is to me. Right. Because I rather take a less amount on cash flow on a monthly basis. But I know that my property is appreciating, is in a neighborhood that I really like, that it's safe, safe for my tenants and it's adding value and it's going all the way up there's no way to like <laughs> turn around and become like a e or or f type of neighborhood. So i i think it's so important to go beyond, right? beyond the numbers and really like tailor your lifestyle into what what's going on from the misconception perspective. When people are analyzing a property, do you believe that? I don't know if that's rude or not, but sometimes they're more worried about what spreadsheet they're going to use instead of really understanding the market. Mm-hmm. Is that something you come across or you, you had experience as mixed consumption? Definitely.
0: I mean, my first property, no spreadsheet, uh, just hopefully I'm going to make more than I spend. And then my mm-hmm. second one, I did. I did have a little spreadsheet, but it was still uh, very basic. Um, And I just, I finally have kind of gotten into, you know, I got a hold of a pro forma that I really like that you can use to analyze bigger deals. And so you can get into the, you know, spreadsheets and I have gotten kind of into the numbers a little bit more, but I do think you can get too into the numbers, I guess, as well. Um, And uh, to your point about, you know, sometimes even the cash flow is good, but it's a huge headache. I mean, my single family homes are in um, nice areas. You know, they they attract a pretty high quality tenant, and they are easy. You know, they are just and they aren't they aren't the highest cash flow, but um, the tenants pay their rent on time. They take care of all the utilities. They take care of the maintenance, and I just you know collect the check. And then I bought just recently the five unit. It's probably a C level property in a B level neighborhood. So I'm trying to do some value add to it. But that has been a new experience for me dealing with um, tenants that um, have more trouble paying their rent and are not as responsible. And it's been a ton more work. And I always thought, okay, you know, five unit now, 10 unit next time. And I'm thinking maybe, actually, maybe I'll buy some more single family homes. You know, maybe that is a good strategy for me. And Single-family homes also appreciate really well. You can pretty much always sell them quickly, and so I don't think yeah, it's not all about cash flow. There's a lot that goes into it. Yeah, and I think that I think the other thing
2: most most people don't do is like where, where do I want to be in five years financially? You know, are these steps that I'm taking today going to get me there? Because some people don't need the cash flow right now. They're they're really they're positioning themselves for retirement. Or, you know, they're they're looking at things in the future. What asset today will get you there? Or some people really hate their job. They want to replace their job with other income coming in. That's a different story, right? That might be like, okay, money now. How do I do that now? I, I think there's so many different pieces to look at. And I think looking at your life long-term will help you get there too. Not like 20 years, but mm-hmm. like, you know, five, 10 years. I think that helps um helped us look at it, you know, and, and we created a we created an expertise in workforce housing. So we we were always in neighborhoods that were up and coming, changing. And yeah, there was more work that was needed in terms of dealing with tenants. Absolutely. As we've evolved, we're like, okay, we really do want the neighborhoods that are workforce housing that are stable, that are safe, but the assets need more more work. The assets need repositioning. Um, that's worked for us. It's not gonna work for everyone. That could be single family, that could be that could be large. So my point in saying that is as you start to dabble and you start to get in, start to say, like, I love what you're saying, Katie, is like, okay, I might just go back to single family homes. We've rented, we've had single family home assets, we've had large multifamily assets. And I would agree with you, Katie, when you look at it in and of itself, right? We were building, we we're building a different type of business, but I love some of my single family homes that we used to rent. You know, they deal with everything, they cut the grass, you know, they really don't call us about anything. They're a great tenant and they're there for like 10, 15 years. Like I think about that, but again, we, our model was, you know, we, we kind of shifted our model a little bit, but I think to your point, women have to take a step back and they have to look forward in order to do that. So I really love that idea. What are the things that you wished you knew when, when you look back at where you are now, you know, you're building your portfolio, you got a nice portfolio, you're, you're, you're creating what wish like someone been like, Katie, they, they hit you in the back and go, Katie, all right, here are three things you got to know right now. Like what, what would you wish you were told when you got going and in investing?
0: I had some great tenants out of the gate. So I was lulled into thinking that, um, the tenant management part was really easy. I do wish someone would have said, you know, there, and I think people did say to me, like, they're not all going to be that easy. So I think, um, you know, I am kind of learning the lesson now that, there is more management um, of the tenant and I do have property managers um, but I I also stay pretty involved so I'm kind of at that point where I have a property manager but I'm not willing to completely let go and I need to work on that. And I I am actually switching property managers. So I'm just kind of at a stage where um, I I need to kind of take a step up. I think one of you were saying that things weren't really working and um, I'm going to move forward. So hopefully I'll get the tenant management more under control because that has been a shock with buying a multifamily. Um, and then, like I said, I also, you know, I've learned a lot more about numbers. I think, uh, that's been good and bad. I think, um, had I been reading all the stuff about 1% rule and the cash on cash return goals, I may have not bought my first investment property and I never would have gotten in the, in the game. So, but, you know, looking back, I'm like, oh, that wasn't, that actually wasn't that great of an investment if it hadn't appreciated so I kind of got lucky on the appreciation.
2: Don't you think luck is like, what do they say? Labor under correct knowledge. I think that's like the, the corny acronym that they say. But, but I mean, I think about like the properties we bought. And if someone like now in hindsight, I'm like, wow, some of those purchases were not the right purchases at the, at the time. And, and, but they got us to that next piece. I, I just recorded a video yesterday. I was in the neighborhood of a, a 10 unit we owned and we sold last year. And I'm, I had the kids in the car, of course. I'm like, guys, we're going to go take a detour. So I took a video in front of the. I was like, is anyone looking? You know, because I don't actually own this property anymore. And I'm taking a video in, in front of it. But I took a quick video to share in our community about just the, the path of our progress, right? And that's what it's about versus the property itself. And I think you're right. If, if you literally, women that are beginning, if you literally look at every property and overanalyze it, you will talk yourself out of every single property i I think there is an ounce of just talking yourself out of everything really so do you do you want that or do you really want to make progress and, and and move towards your goals so i'm not saying just buy anything blindly i'm not saying that at all but i think we could overanalyze and especially when moving into new areas i love your advice of just like take that step you know make it happen and you have a community around you ladies to support you you know which is so important. Like you were saying, Katie, did we have, you know, podcasts? I wish Andres and I, when we started this four years ago, we said, we want to build something that we wish we had that we didn't, you know, that we didn't have when we started. So, um, I I love that advice. Yeah. In terms of any other, like where are you headed next? What are you up to now? Like you said, you're actually considering more multis or more singles. And how do you differentiate that for yourself? How are you kind of determining what the right next step is for you? Because that's helpful to get into your brain of where you're headed.
0: Yes. You know, I considered going back to work when my kids started kindergarten. Um, And then I kind of looked around at jobs and I was like, I actually don't want to work full time for someone else, Um, but I do want to work. And so I was like, I'm just going to do this myself, and my my goal was kind of to replace that like initial law firm salary I had, um, which obviously can't happen right away. But I hope in you know f- about five years I can maybe be making what I made as like a young attorney, um, just in cash flow. And so to do that, you know, I have to buy um, at least probably like ten to twenty properties in Omaha, if I do Omaha. So next year, I'd like to buy like two or three doors in Omaha. I'd actually love to buy a duplex. I wouldn't live in one side, but I would love to buy a duplex to maybe have that um, the benefits of kind of multifamily, but maybe the ease that I like about my single families. And then I, I have been, I think like a lot of other people dreaming of um, buying a beach house. So I have pivoted a little bit and if I did the beach house, I wouldn't do the um, the Omaha properties because my husband and I do use our own money to um, put the down payments down. We kind of are at a point where we have the money for our own investments, so um, we're going to use that. Uh, first, so I have been looking at investment properties um, in the Outer Banks, which is a drive from where we live. So we could use it for you know the two weeks out of the year, and then we would rent it the rest of the time. I love that, and you know, it's
2: really. I want to just make make a point of that before we get to where 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 the ladies listening can learn more about you. You started out with your goal. You said, I want to replace my income in five years. It's going to take about this amount of properties. And then lastly it was almost like the actual asset classes. And I'm considering this. I'm also considering this, you know, which I think is great. Most people do the other, the other, they flip it around. They'll say, well start with, you didn't start with the vacation rental versus the properties. And that's not the first thing you said. That was the last thing you said. And I think that's really, really important to note for, for everyone listening. Start out with that, that big picture, right? Start out with where do I want to be? What kind of money do I need to be making And then you're going to work backwards to get yourself there because anything is going to sound great when you don't have that criteria. Anything will sound like a great opportunity when you don't have that criteria. I can tell you that's how it works. Um, So I love that, Katie. That was you know kind of just analyzing what you just said is exactly like the the thinking and the approach because it will get you there faster because you're going to have that goal. So that's Mm -hmm. awesome. Good stuff. Um, Can't wait to see where you go, what you do. Um, Very, very cool stuff. Uh, Where can the ladies uh, listening learn more about you and
0: follow? you along your journey? Um, I do have an Instagram account that I like to update. It's called um, The Walkable Life. So at The Walkable Life on Instagram. And as I mentioned, I, I really like to invest in walkable communities. And then um, I didn't mention it much here, but I uh, my husband and I own a 1937 colonial, our own personal home, and we've renovated it. So I share a lot of personal renovations. I'm updating an investment property. Um, and then I just share fun stuff. It's usually real estate related, but it'll be like a pretty house I saw and a walk I took. Um and I do a lot of traveling. So I usually um if I see a cool building, I post that kind of thing. So that's where you can find me. And um I think it's a lot of fun. It's real estate related, but just kind of anything that interests me.
3: <laughs> Love it. And all this information you guys can find on our show notes, we're gonna transition to our fabulous three questions. And the first one is what's the most transformational book you ever read?
0: So, I'm going to go off the beaten path a little and not recommend a book about wealth building or how to buy real estate. But, and I have it here, um, but it's called um, The Color of Law by Richard Rothstein. And I read this, I think it was during the pandemic, but it was very eye opening for me. It's about um, racism in the real estate industry and it really follows that and um, opened my eyes to the fact that not Every community has been able to build wealth through real estate. Um, And hopefully that's changed and is changing. But that was eye-opening for me coming from a family that, you know, did own their own home when I was growing up, definitely weren't wealthy, but always had the stability of having your own home. Um, And so I think being in the industry, you just have to kind of have that in mind and always make sure that you're, you know, kind of helping and not hurting or exacerbating the problem.
3: Second question is what's the most powerful routine that you do to create a financially free and balanced life?
0: So I am not, I'm not a morning person. I listen to your show a lot and so many people are morning people, but, um, I do try to, um, move my body every day. You know, I used to be a huge runner and I still run a lot, but I've noticed that as I've gotten older, I just, I don't necessarily have time to like do a sweat drenched hour workout and then get ready for the day. So I'm more likely to just go on a walk um, for 30 minutes and then I can continue on my day Um, and I can do that in the middle of the day and I don't have to wake up early to get it in before I start my day. So I can go and walk and get lunch and just kind of make it like a part of my day.
3: Great. And which woman, famous or not, has inspired you the most?
0: So um, definitely my mom. Um, I come from a very entrepreneurial family. Um, Lots of small businesses here and there. But my mom started a travel agency when she um was recently divorced and she had four young kids. And um, she just decided um, that she was going to start calling brides and say, Can I plan your honeymoon? Um, and so it was basically like cold calling. And she convinced some um office building manager in a nice area in Omaha to rent her the utility closet so that she had that address so that she could put a desk and two chairs. So it kind of gave her, you know, the you know, Oh, I'm in Regency and come visit me. Um, and she built it up and she has like 20 employees. Now my stepdad and my, um, one of my sisters and my brother both work for her and she just has a great business mind. And she, um, is also someone though, who always, she worked to live, you know, so she, now that she built her business, she, she works part-time and then she also you know the pandemic hit the travel agencies obviously super hard <laughs> but they um kind of doubled down they moved some things around they kept um they were able to pay all their full-time employees throughout the pandemic and were able to use some of the the tools that were out there and just watching them do that um they were kind of on their course to retirement i think and then they just had to kind of start over almost, um, but they were able to keep everything afloat and now people are traveling again. So it's just so inspirational. She just started from much less than I have and was able to create um, quite a business. That's awesome. That's great. great. Thank you.
2: Thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you so much for sharing your journey with, with us and our, our listeners and excited to all see all the great things happening for you. So thanks for being on our show today.
3: Oh, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to receive updates on our next interviews, go to our website, therealestateinvestor.com. There, you can subscribe to our show, become part of our investor community, and get updates on upcoming episodes.
2: If you like our show, please share it with other women who would benefit. And don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. And as always, we encourage you to take one action as a result of today's show and put it into motion so you can live both a financially free and balanced life. Thanks for spending time with us. Ciao.